0: Andy. Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. I want to personally welcome you here and thank you for gathering with us this weekend. I see some new faces or newer faces. If you're new with us, we are a young church, and we often say that we are a group committed to the gospel in the context of family living on mission. Uh, we do this by focusing on three main values. Our first one is gospel, which, if you're unfamiliar with that term, simply the good news of Jesus and the hope that we have in that message. The second value is family, that we operate as a family of servant missionaries that have been changed by this message and hope of Jesus, and that we are on mission uh, both here locally and globally to serve our community and our world. Uh, We're in the middle of a summer series right now, so if you haven't been with us the first two weeks, it's called Around the Table, Joining Jesus in the Ordinariness of Life, where we are taking the weeks of summer to really focus on what we call evangelism as we consider how Jesus changes lives. And so full disclosure we want people to meet jesus throughout this series and so if you're in here and you're not sure if you know jesus my hope and prayer is that you come to know jesus and if you're in here and you know jesus my hope is that you are joining jesus or others at the table and inviting them to follow jesus as you um, live your everyday rhythms of life in our city and here's the thing we may be known as the least religious most atheistic city in our country Um, one of the least religious and most atheistic in all of north america but most in our culture, because we're still in an American city, have at least heard of Jesus. Um, and, they're, and they're not oblivious to the person of Jesus. When we wor- worked over in South Asia, you'd meet people who had never heard the name Jesus and had no clue what we're talking about. So most of our culture at least have some kind of idea, a frame of reference, but many have no understanding of what Jesus, who Jesus actually is and what the message is that he offers. And so that's what we're really being invited into. And so if you're a Christ follower... I would argue and I would tell you that you are here in this city with a purpose. You may have moved here for a job, you may have moved here for school, you may have moved here because you were tired of your old city and there was something attractive about this city, but you are here to be, befriend people from work, from school, from your street, wherever ordinary life takes you, and as you go about your everyday rhythms of life, you have the opportunity to join Jesus as inviting other people to join Jesus as well. And so that is really what this series is about. To start us off, Larry King, which I realize we have some younger millennials in here, so you may not know who Larry King is. But Larry King is arguably the greatest interviewer of our time. If you're not sure who he is, please Google him after we finish this. Don't do it while I'm I'm up here. And I know that um, up until 2010, when his show went off to off the air, if you would be hard to press to name a celebrity who had not been on his show, he had anyone and everyone, all the who's who were on his show. And so. I found it intriguing as I was studying Larry King that he was asked one time about if the roles were reversed, and basically an interviewer came to him and said, hey, if you could interview anyone, who would it be? And his response was surprising to me, and it might be surprising to you. He said, I would interview Jesus Christ. So an obvious uh, follow-up question that the, the interviewer asked him, I said, what question would you ask Jesus if you could interview him? He said, I would ask him if he was indeed virgin-born, because the answer to that question would define history. Larry King is 100% right. Figuring out the answer to that question, who is Jesus, is life-altering. It's history-defining because the answer to that can change the trajectory of your life and really um, the humankind. And so that's the, the title of our sermon tonight is, Who is Jesus? So the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Jesus inviting people or joining people at the table. And, and we're still going to see a meal involved tonight. But really, I want all of you to wrestle through this question, who is Jesus? And, and who is it that our culture says is jesus and so think about it our calendar is built on the person of jesus even even in 2019 if you think about how our calendar operates there's still a degree that's influenced by jesus there are more books written on jesus than any other figure in history and so go to powell's and you're gonna find tons of books that are written on the figure of jesus the main book about jesus the bible is the most stolen book in our own country and I find that one intriguing because they can go to a hotel and it's in every hotel um, dresser, you know. But it's the one of the most stolen books in our own country. And so maybe you're in here tonight and you would say, you know what, I am skeptical to this whole idea of Christianity. Or maybe you say, you know what, I'm actually opposed to Christianity. I've, I've gone past that. I was skeptical and I'm opposed to it. Or maybe you're just not too sure anymore. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you have some kind of religious background. And you say, I'm not sure about Jesus any longer. I'm not sure about church anymore. I'm not sure about Christianity. And as the pastor of this church, I want to reiterate that regardless of where you are, regardless where you are on that spectrum, that you are welcome here. Your skepticism is welcome here. Your opposition is welcome here. And your uncertainty is absolutely welcome here. My hope is tonight that whoever you are, wherever you are, that you walk away here confidently be able to answer the the question, who is Jesus? This is what we often say at Sojourners. We're inviting people to take a journey of learning what it means to follow Jesus and to follow him faithfully in our city. And so that's what we're inviting you all into tonight, regardless where you are, regardless where you are starting tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them with me. uh, The passage that we just read in Luke chapter 9, we'll start in verse 7 and work all the way through verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, we have blue ones in the back. If you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. And the words will be up on the screen Next to me, although I do believe it's viable to have a Bible you can read throughout the the week, and so please take one of those if you do not have a Bible. Go ahead and get started with me. Verse 7 says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So we start out seeing Herod, Herod, the Tetrarch, is perplexed by the person of Jesus. So Herod is basically the guy in charge of the whole area, the whole land at this time. So he's, he's a big deal. And at this point, Herod knew the status of many of others, what I call foreshadows to Jesus. But he's puzzled by who this character of Jesus he keeps hearing about. He keeps hearing stories about Jesus and, and picking up signs about this character of Jesus. He goes, I'm not really sure who this guy is. And he had likely heard about what was happening as a result of the mission because at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, which we didn't read, the first six verses, he sent his 12 apostles out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal people. And so as they're, they're out proclaiming the kingdom of God and as they're out healing people, they start hearing chatter of, of what, is, what is happening in our city. That's my hope as we send you guys out each night at the end of our, our gatherings is that people will start to hear chatter in our city, in our neighborhood, going, what what is this group not for the name of sojourn but what is this group that's going around they're like praying for people and they're they're sharing this life-changing message of people i heard about this guy who was just grabbing coffee with a friend and his life was completely turned upside down and he left everything and and followed this guy named jesus like that's kind of stories i want to hear happening and this is what Herod is starting to pick up on that this is what's happening so who is this jesus guy and many new testament scholars believe that herod had heard some of these things, so he's wanting to see the apostles perform a miracle. It's almost like, let me actually see this happen, let me see this actually take place, or let me, let me see if Jesus himself will come and perform a miracle for me. And because of the things he was hearing, they were not normal, Herod recognized that, that Jesus and what he offers is not ordinary. And so although we're talking about joining Jesus in the ordinariness of our lives, what Jesus offers is not ordinary. It's something quite different than that. And Herod knew that, and so he's going, what, who is this Jesus guy? And we're given three possible answers to who Jesus' identity right here at the beginning. It says first, maybe he's John the Baptist. Here he is raised from the dead. Maybe that's who this guy is. Or maybe he's the prophet Elijah. He's kind of reincarnated a little bit differently. This is the the prophet Elijah coming to us. Or maybe he's one of the prophets of old, maybe a a new Moses. And we're going to see the exact same options are given later in verses 18 through 20. And so, answering the question, "Who do you say that I am?" Jesus is one of the most important questions each and every one of us will have to give an answer for. So let me say that again, in case you didn't hear that. Who do you say that I am? Talking about Jesus is one of the most important questions that you'll ever have to answer in your life. And so, if you haven't wrestled through that up to this point, my prayers that you will wrestle through that this evening and as you leave this place. And we're here to help you wrestle through that. And so you don't have to do that on your own. Have you ever thought through your answer? Have you ever really just given time, or have you just taken something that you saw in a documentary, or maybe something you heard in a college class, or something that you read in a book that was trying to debunk Christianity and Jesus? Or have you ever really wrestled through it on your own? Who is Jesus? Was he John the Baptist raised from the dead? Is he the prophet Elijah? Or is he something else entirely? The answer to that question has the potential to change your entire life. Herod actually seems really close to understanding who Jesus was because since he's perplexed, I'm perplexed by something. I'm kind of like, okay, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna look and figure out what what is this that's happening? But unfortunately, God doesn't grade on a curve and Herod missed it altogether. There are people all over our world that seem close or they, uh, they have some false version of Jesus sprinkled in with truth, but either you get it or you don't. Every, actually both yesterday and today, we had Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house twice. I mean, they're really hitting us up hardcore, I guess because I showed some initial interest in just having a conversation with them. At the bus stop yesterday morning at 7.30, this lady came up to me, and so they're out there hitting it really hard, and if you're not familiar with Jehovah's Witness, I mean, there's some sprinkled stuff in there It sounds very similar to, to things that we believe as Christians and, and even things that we read, but they're entirely false. They are a cult, and so I look at it, man, they're, they're close. They're like Herod, but unless they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on this side of heaven, there's... They've missed it, and unfortunately, God does not grade on a curve. It's not, well, you had some aspects right, and you knew a little bit about my story. Many people with a church background fall into the same category. Remember that going to church makes you a Christian just as, going, just as much as going to salt and straw makes you an ice cream cone. Just because you go to something like that doesn't also you turn into that, that item. So if you're thinking, well, man, I, I come to Sojourn sometimes on occasion, and I check a box, and, and you know, I know I don't turn into a stamp while I'm there, so maybe I turn into a, a Christian. Maybe I'm a Christ follower. No, just because you come here hopefully you get some knowledge hopefully you get some truth but just because you show up doesn't make you a christ follower and so the people of the day and in the case of the ruler of the day herod he had heard about the works of this raging ragtag group of individuals and what they were doing in the name of jesus and so if you are a follower of jesus if that's how you identify then we are constantly be pointing people to jesus at sojourn that's how we frame discipleship So we've started a a, a kind of an e-book they're going through on Thursday nights. We say discipleship and evangelism is really two sides of the same coin. So we're always pointing people to Jesus or we're pointing people further in Jesus. So if they don't know Jesus, we point them to Jesus until they hopefully come to that knowledge. And if you already know Jesus, then we get to point each other further in that relationship because none of us have ever arrived. How do you do that? One simple way is you join others around the table. You're going to hear me say that over and over again by having coffee with them, by having meals with them. Another practical way is by meeting the needs around you. If you're not sure what those are, then start out by being present with people, and then you get a chance to, to listen. Say, are there some needs in your life of your family, or maybe it's a school or organization? This is why we love to serve our community through partnerships. We have a partnership with Concordia Neighborhood Association. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a board member. I'm proud to say that. We, we have a partnership with Vernon School, the, the elementary school there on Killingsworth. We have a partnership with the Portland Rescue Mission, and our newest partner, Embrace Oregon. And we kind of asked them, what needs do you guys have? How can we help meet those needs as a church? And what we're going to see now in this passage is right here in the middle of it, Jesus is going to do just that. We're going to watch Jesus meet the needs of the people, and you probably guessed it, it includes a meal. So pick back up with me in verse 10. Very common story. It shocked me if none of you had ever heard at least part of this. Jesus feeds the 5,000, verse 10. On the return, the apostles told him all that they had done, And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we were to go and buy food for all of these people. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied, and what what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. And so suddenly we come across the story of the feeding of 5,000 Right in the middle of this passage. Why do you think that that was put right here smack dab in the middle? Because what we are about to see is a crucial clue to the identity of Jesus. This is the big question. Who is Jesus? All of a sudden we see this story that's going to point to here is Jesus and this is who he is. And so this picnic in the wilderness with 5,000 people makes the difference between Herod's unanswered question and Jesus' answered question. The intent of Jesus at this point in the story is actually to get away with the apostles. But the crowds, they learned of it, and what do the crowds do oftentimes when you study life of Jesus? The crowds are following him, so they're kind of they're pressing in. This is, the, in a sense, the celebrity who's coming through town, and the celebrity saying, I, I, need, a, I need a break, and, and we're all following along with him. Everyone just wanted to be around this, this Jesus character. If you read the same story in the book of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus was exhausted. At this point, he's ready to take a break from the crowds. The phone calls and the texts, they just keep coming in. He, ge- he keeps getting notified, ding, you know, there's another email coming in. Someone's mentioned him on, on Twitter. Ministry can be exhausting. I heard a guy recently does landscaping for about eight hours. He said doing eight hours of land eight hours of ministry is like two days of landscaping. Now, even I question that, and you might be sitting there questioning that yourself, but he's like, man, ministry's just so exhausting because because people i'm a people person i love people so i love you guys the more people we get the more i'm like yes there's more people and you introverts you kind of shy away from that but i get energy from that but even even i as a people person i have a, a ceiling and a limit where i'm eventually like okay i just need to lay down and take a nap and so jesus is going to get away but everyone follows after jesus and his disciples and then after hiking up this mountain, you guys can probably relate because we live in Portland. The great, you know, area's got a lot of hiking trails. They hike up the mountain out of Forest Park, and no surprise, everyone is hungry. And Jesus welcomes the people, and he says, and just as he welcomes up, he said, "Come, come, join us." And so Jesus does as the apostles have been doing up to this point. And the reason they wanted to rest is they've been ministering to the people and they've been healing the people. And so as they're going away to get a rest, Jesus starts praying for people and he starts ministering to people and he starts meeting their needs. It always amazes me to see Jesus meet people where they're at. So regardless where you are right now, remember how I kind of started this on that spectrum, Jesus is here to meet you right there. He's there to minister to your needs. He's there to minister to your questions right in this moment. Jesus never tries to make people fit into a program or an agenda. That's why I'm always kind of cautious, even with the rhythms of, of what we do here at the church. Is instead of just saying, cool, we're going to plug you into this, because that, that may not be what you're ready for. So we try our best. We always do a great job, but we try our best to meet people where they're at, just as Jesus modeled for us, by inviting you into following Jesus. And so Jesus asked them, how much food do we have? He looks at the disciples. There's a lot of people here. There's a crowd. How much food do we have? And upon learning that there's a couple of fish and some bread, Jesus says, bring me everything we have and let's eat fish and chips. Sounds good. But then the apostles think, Jesus, you've lost it at this point because we have a couple of fish and and, and a little bit of bread, and you're saying to feed this crowd of people. Remember, it tells us there's 5,000 people, and that's just men. So they weren't counting the women. They weren't counting the children there. So if I had showed up, it's like they're counting me and there's four others. And my kids can eat a lot. So there's three little boys, and there's Andrea with me. He says, how are we going to feed these 5,000 people with the equivalent of a Happy Meal? And what we actually have here is we're going to see three important echoes of the Old Testament in this story that are going to point to the identity of Jesus. And so the first of those echoes is God's provision of manna, which happened hundreds of years prior. so if you're familiar with the story in Exodus, God has rescued the people from slavery in Egypt, And soon the Egyptians complain they have no food, and so God sends manna from heaven. And so in Luke 9, where we are tonight, the people are again hungry and without food in the wilderness. And what does God do? God is going to provide. And Jesus, in this case, represents a new Moses preparing to lead a new exodus of rescuing God's people from sin and from death. So that's our first echo. The second echo is the feeding of the, of the 5,000 would have reminded people of a second Old Testament story from Second Kings chapter 4, verses 42-44. through 44. I believe it will be on the screen up here. It says, A man came from Bel-Shalasha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a 100 men? So he repeated, Give to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord. They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. So Elisha told his servant to feed a group of prophets with 20 loaves for about 100 men. Now, the 20 loaves doesn't sound like enough food for 100 men if you've ever been to a men's barbecue. All of them ate, they were stuffed full, and there were leftovers. And so we see the symmetry between these two stories as we continue on, because we're going to see that same thing happen tonight. And then the third echo from the Old Testament is the, a messianic banquet. 800 years prior, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed the promises of God from Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, some of you have heard this example before, but if you've ever had the experience of going to a really expensive restaurant, the type that you've only dreamed about going to, but you know that I can never afford to go there. There's no way that I could ever actually go and dine at that place, but if you've ever been invited to one of those places and and someone else says, "I'm going to take care of the bill for you. I'm going to take care of it, no matter what it is. Order whatever you want," I can remember an older Jewish couple. The first year Andre and I were married, live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Wilmington's a place full of retirees. It's a it's a beautiful spot. Real close. We worked ten minutes from the beach, and there was this older retired Jewish couple who came into the restaurant where I worked. So I'd wait tables for them all the time, and they say, we want to take you and your wife, and we want to go to the name of the restaurant. I thought, there's no way I can afford that. That's like one of those restaurants where I'm like, can I get a, I get a glass of tea? And then the tea's still like five bucks, and then you got to leave the tips. I'm like, uh, no, I don't, I don't know if we do this. Said, no, no, come. You're, we, you're, you will be our guest. We want to invite you to this. And so even though that was the invitation, I still remember kind of being nervous because whenever the bill comes, you know, I was always kind of taught like still kind of fight for the bill, but at the same time I'm like, I don't have that in my wallet. I don't even think we had a credit card at the time because everyone said don't get a credit card when you first get married. And so I still remember kind of being nervous. I was probably sweating a little bit. And when the bill came, Charlie grabbed the check without ever letting me see it. And so at an expensive meal where one, only one person is paying, only that person sees and feels the pain no matter the cost. It didn't matter what I ordered that night. I could have ordered a $100 meal. I could have ordered a $1,000 meal because all I knew was that Charlie was taking care of it. And I didn't get to see that bill, and I didn't get to feel the pain of that bill you know this is one of those restaurants too when you order and there's no no prices and you're like how much is this crab cake is this like a five dollar crab cake or a fifty dollar crab cake you know they don't want you to see that that's not the kind of places i can usually dine and so only charlie felt that in the case of isaiah 25 death itself is on the menu and only jesus christ feels the pain for our sin in this story the apostles want to send the people away that's what we often want to do. People are draining. People are exhausting. We say, sorry, there's, <laughs> we're closed. We, <laughs> the, the day is over. It's 5 o'clock. But God is making the point that no one needs to leave his feast. In the Messianic banquet, the Messiah has defeated death, and he makes the world right, and he a- enables us to enjoy the presence of God. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't it, but it is a glimpse of the coming world where there will be provision, there will be plenty, and there will be satisfaction. Jesus was the host of the feeding of the 5,000 in God's great party, along with his welcomeness of Jesus confirming his identity. And so this is the way that Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am now, that you see that I can do this? I can swallow up death itself. And so you might be sitting here this evening thinking, we're studying a story that happened thousands of years ago. But if you look around our world today, are we not in a world that is full of hunger, full of pain, suffering, want, brokenness? Just, just turn on, well, don't turn on the news, but just turn on the news or scroll through social media. I mean, there's daily, there's, just, there's reports of brokenness, of, of shootings, of wars, of earthquakes. Just all this stuff is just happening. And it's just, we just want to shut it off. And I'd rather watch just something, you know, on Netflix that, that doesn't make me feel that way. But this is the world that we live in. We live in this world of brokenness. And they just look around, localize it to our own city. I was in downtown yesterday for a workshop, and I decided to walk from downtown back to my house, which I live really near here. And so for about an hour and a half, I got to walk through our city and got to see the city streets. And you're you naturally going to see brokenness, and you're going to see different things and that, that pain you. But it also allows me to be informed on what's happening in our city in a way that I can pray. And so do we not still live in want? Do we not still live in the same type of scenario? Jesus welcomes everyone to his party. And in contrast to Herod, if you look at Mark chapter 6, which we don't have time to tonight you study it on your own, but it's a similar story, but you see that, that Herod doesn't invite everyone. And Jesus said, everyone is welcome to mine. And so feeding of 5,000 people is a lot, but it's not even scratching the surface of all of God's people. That is a lot of people, but he's provided for all. It says, all are welcome, come as you are. Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, says, when your church family gathers together as a group of needy people, and shares food with Jesus at the center and with Jesus as the provider, you glimpse God's coming world right here, right now. The Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world, and no more so than when we eat together. Our meals are a foretaste of the future messianic banquet. Our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals are a proclamation and demonstration of God's good news. This is one of the reasons, aside from just loving food, that I love it, when we get to sit down as a church and have a meal together. A lot of you come over on Thursday nights and we get to eat together. A lot of you come over on Sunday nights and we get to eat together. Sometimes we go out to places like Stella Tacos and stuff on Alberta. But when we get to eat together, because I feel like this is the picture that we get to proclaim to the world around us. And the way that we interact with others should look different than the way that everyone else in our city is just enjoying each other and hanging out. I don't know if any of you have ever done any type of catering, but prepping food for a large amount of people takes a lot of work. I gained an entirely new appreciation for this story last summer. uh, The the couple of you that may have been around, we, we did a big barbecue at Wilshire Park, and it took a lot of work, a lot of hours were put into it, a lot of prep, permits, a lot of finances to pull it off. And I look at that, and then when I was studying this story, I'm like, Jesus is asking his disciples to do an impossible task. So imagine, imagine if we're even this many, where there's, there's more than just the three that he was talking to. Imagine if Jesus came to us and said, there's 5,000 people. They're right outside this building. They're waiting. And you guys need to go feed them. What are we going to feed them with? And you guys look back at our, our communion table, and you're like, there's a couple pieces of flatbread, some gluten-free crackers, and some juice. And Jesus is like, you're going to go feed them dinner. We'd be like, Jesus, you are nuts. Maybe, maybe we got this thing all wrong. But do you think it's by accident that he's asking them to do an impossible task? It appears that Jesus wants to give them the responsibility to bring out their inability. Let me say that again. It appears that Jesus wants to give them the responsibility to bring out their inability. This is the reality that I came to my first year of of attempting to plant this church. I felt like God gave me the responsibility of planting Sojourn to bring out my inability. If you had talked to me two years prior, I would have told you all my grand plans and given you my prospectus, and I still have some of that, and said, man, like, we're going to kill it, and we're going to go into the city, and all the other churches and pastors are going to look back and be like, whoa, look at that. But after a year, I fell flat on my face and just threw my arms up, and I was like, okay, I get it, God. You brought me here, and you gave me this calling to plant a church to show me my inability to actually do so, because God wants me to be dependent and reliant on him. So Jesus is preparing them for his future departure. And not only are they able to feed everyone, but it says they are also left with plenty of leftovers. That's a good party. Early church father, Cyril of Alexandria said this. There was also gathered 12 baskets of fragments. And what do we infer from this? A plain assurance that hospitality receives a rich recompense from God. Let nothing therefore prevent willing people from receiving strangers. Let no one say, I do not possess suitable means. What I can do is altogether trifling and insufficient for many. Receive strangers, my beloved. Overcome that reluctance which wins no reward. The Savior will multiply the little you have many times beyond expectation. Although you give but little, you receive much. For he that sows blessing shall also reap blessings, according to the blessed Paul's words from Second Corinthians nine six. And so the disciples find themselves in this situation where they cannot provide for the people. It tells them they have the power of Jesus, but it's his power. They have the ministry of Jesus, but it's ultimately his ministry. It's not good for us if we try to save the world. We will burn out quickly. And so I want to add that in there because this whole series, I even said at the beginning, it's about evangelism. It's about seeing others come to know Jesus. But it's not good if it's we're the ones who are trying to do the saving because we can't do it. That's not the part that God has given us. We will burn out. We have a responsibility to appoint people to Jesus and the Messianic banquet, but we cannot bring them in. So also we're called to bring, to bring the offer to the people that Jesus is available, that his death is sufficient and complete, but he is the provider, he is the host, not us. And that is the part that we need to connect as well. I come from a background where there was this mentality, sometimes it wasn't spoken, but like kind of pull up your bootstraps and roll up your sleeves and like, we do the work. You know, and we're going to go save the people of Portland. And it's like, no, 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 we got to back up. I can't do that. I've got a role to do, and we got to be faithful to point others to that. But ultimately, Jesus is the one who calls people to salvation, who calls people to himself. And so once again, that's my prayer for you if you're in here and you're not sure. I know that I can't do it. I can't convince you. There's people that who are way more eloquent than I am. I can point you to those churches and where you could go next week and hear that, where you go hear teachings online. You can podcast some stuff. But my job is to be faithful to this message that God has given me, and ultimately I'm praying that Jesus is the one who would call you to himself. Jesus provides for all of us through his cross. In, in nine, chapter 9, verse 16, it says, Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And then later in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 22, verse 19, which we will be there in a few weeks, it says, And Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There's a foreshadow here and Luke is making the connection of taking, faking, breaking, and giving. Which is what we do when we observe the Lord's Supper at the end of each of our gatherings. Jesus the Messiah who provides and the host the great banquet. But ultimately he provides for us by dying and he welcomes the abandoned ones in. So maybe you feel abandoned tonight. Maybe you say, I used to think I knew about this stuff. I used to think God loved me, but now I feel abandoned. And God's saying, come back to me. You are no longer, but you are welcome. I am here for you. I love you. Finally, we wrap up in verses 18 through 20. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And so Luke abandons the setting from the start of this chapter, but here he's focusing on the point that Jesus is alone, is praying. And as he's alone, his disciples are still there, so it doesn't mean there's not other people in the room, but you're kind of, you, know, you get you're at a party and you're off to the side. So he's a, alone praying. I do this oftentimes. You probably notice I always sit in the back. I'm always kind of alone. And part of that is I'm praying, I'm observing. I want to be there to welcome others to come in. And so I'm still with you guys, but yet I'm alone back there. It's just me and Jesus' time. And so he, he's there. He's with them. And he takes the advantage to say, who do the crowds say that I am? And the answers initially are redundant. We saw them in, in verse 7. These had become popular opinions at the time. Jesus then turns the question on his disciples to imply that, yes, these may be popular choices. This is what the people of the day are saying, but none of these are actually correct. Who do you say that I am? And while the question was given to all of them, Luke draws Peter to the forefront as a spokesperson for the group, and Peter responds, the Christ of God. And so Peter's pointing out that Jesus is more than all of those other figures. He's more than all of those other options. Although they are foreshadows, that's where it stops. Jesus is way more than those, those foreshadows that's pointing to him. And so Luke tonight is also inviting you and me to answer the question, who is Jesus? So is Jesus God? And if so, do you want to know what God is like? Luke is saying, go back and look at the story of what Jesus did for the crowd that was hungry. That is what God is like. And so maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're asking these questions for the first time in your life. Maybe this is a question that you asked years ago and and then you kind of changed over the years and now you're asking it again. Like, who is Jesus really? What's he like? Does Jesus actually know what's going on in my life? Maybe that's where somebody feel lonely, like if he actually knew what was going on in my life, this would be working out very differently. Does Jesus care about my struggles? Does he care about my worries, my stress, my anxiety? Luke would tell you, go back and look at the feeding of the 5,000. Does God care about these things? Absolutely. Is God willing to intervene in your life? Absolutely. God is willing to change your life. God is willing to change your circumstances if you will let him. Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean they're going to go the way that you want them to go. Oftentimes, they will not. But Luke wants us to know this man, Jesus, is God made in flesh, what we call the God man. And if you want to know what God is like, just look at what he does. Study it. I don't have to come up here and tell you. I'm not, yes, I am trying to convince you, but I'm not trying to convince you at the same time. Study Jesus for yourself. Jesus can speak for himself. It's funny when people question and doubt. I have others say, are you worried about the person? I'm like, not really. Because God is God. God can handle those doubts. God can handle those questions. It's not my job to work all that out. And we see Peter has experienced the power in the presence of Jesus, and he gets the question right. And Peter's the one who a few chapters before this, if you study the book of Luke, he's just doing ordinary life. And as he's doing ordinary life, he meets Jesus while he's there, and he is forever changed. So this is what happens when you get the question right. You meet the real Jesus, and the real Jesus is the one, and his power is the one that will change you. Meeting Jesus and answering the question, who is Jesus, ultimately has never, never has to be settled by every, sorry, ultimately has to be settled by every individual person, young or old, rich or poor, male or female, ruler or citizen, and by you. You ultimately have to decide, who is Jesus? And so we have a few ways to respond this evening as we wrap up. Maybe you're sitting there and this is the first time that you've understood that that Jesus is God in flesh. That that maybe something clicked tonight for the very first time. If that's you, you can respond tonight by confessing with your mouth and your heart faith in Jesus as your Savior. Doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out, but that's the first step. Second way we can respond is maybe you're sitting here and you say, no, I'm already a follower of Jesus. Jesus. But today, I need to commit to trust God to take care of the problems in my life rather than trying to handle them on my own. Maybe there's some stress. Maybe there's some anxiety. Maybe there's some marriage issues going on. I don't know what it is. But you say, you know what, God? I, I need to hand that over to you because I've been trying to handle that on my own. Maybe you're like where I was my first year in this church planting and kind of step back and say, God, you've, you've given me this, but it's something I can't do. God's bringing out your inability so that you rely on him. Third is ask the Holy Spirit to show you the needs that you individually and your family can meet in the city and, and us as a church. Just as we see Jesus meeting the needs of the 5,000 people by feeding them, I ask that you all pray, God, what are some needs around me? How can I help meet those needs? And our fourth way of response is, is worship. And we do that a few ways. We're gonna worship through songs of praise. We're gonna have Joseph come back up and lead us in, in, in I think, two more songs. We can worship God by praying. Maybe you just want to sit there and just pray, God, show me the needs. Or, God, I'm still not sure about this. Please minister to me. I believe the Holy Spirit can handle that. The Holy Spirit can do that. We also worship by giving. We have our box back there. And if you're part of sojourn, we say we want to be generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And that's one way that you can respond. If you're not part of sojourn, we're not asking you to give. And then the, the last way with worship is by taking of communion. We believe that's a worshipful response as we remember As we break off the piece of bread, that Christ's body was broken for us. And as we dip it into the wine, that Jesus' blood was shed for us. So let me pray for us. We'll respond accordingly. Joseph will come back up. And then we will close out the evening. God, we want to come to you and just thank you for this excellent story of pointing us to answering the question, who is Jesus? God, I could assume that everyone in here has completely wrestled through that and come to a conclusion, but God, anytime I'm in front of a group of people, it doesn't matter how big or how small, I believe that we have to put it out there to wrestle through this. For many of us, we'd look at something we saw on TV or something our parents taught us, or if we grew up in church, something taught us in Sunday school, but maybe we never actually took the time to wrestle through who is Jesus, and so I got to ask in this moment that, that, that your Holy Spirit is ministering to every single person in this room, and that you would help mold and shape that answer, and that your son would become real to them. God, we see this incredible miracle feeding of 5,000, but God, we know that barely scratches the surface of the ultimate messianic banquet where you're inviting all to your table. God, we say that all are welcome to come as we are to you. God, we thank you for Jesus life, his death, his resurrection. God, what we celebrate through the table and taking of the elements. I ask now that we would take these moments to worship you and that we'd leave here worshiping you. In your name we pray. Amen. So Sojourn, the table is open. As always, I'll be back there for prayer. It's available. The time is yours. Respond accordingly.